37, Whacked with a Saber. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a September 12, 2007 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. There's another world inside of me that you may never see. There's secrets in this life that I can't hide. During the Civil War, some Kansas Army regiments elected their officers. And when it comes to elections, politics are always involved. Join curator Blair Tarr and me as we examine a set of glitzy pistols and a fancy presentation saber. Were these items the gifts of loyal soldiers to a beloved leader or a political payoff? Either way, this officer paid a high price, and his life was never the same. So hold me when I'm here, me when I'm wrong. Then, get set for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Believe it or not, we found a way to connect this famous Kansas editor to Fred Thompson, former cast member of Law & Order, and now a declared presidential candidate. Good afternoon, Blair. How are you? All fine. Yourself, Merle? I'm good. I'm good. Today, uh, you and I are going to be talking about a very shiny set of pistols and a shiny uh, saber that belonged to John Errol Johnson. Uh, and we'll get to him in just a minute, but first I want to just describe the pistols and the saber because they're um, pretty amazing. The pistols are two 44 caliber nickel-plated pistols uh, with gold-plated cylinder and carved ivory handles. Um, they're pretty nice. And the Very saber nice. is a uh, curved presentation saber. Well, they probably are both presentations. Both presentations, yes. Um, Presentation saber with a worked gilded handle and a very fancy <laughs> etched blade. That's the which, think, say, which says our flag and our country, I believe, on it. Right. Okay, so we'll get to it. Um, and they're both they both have an inscription on them. And according to the inscription, um, these items were actually given to Major John Errol Johnson in 1863. Who was John Errol Johnson? He was a member of a family that came from southern Indiana uh, to territorial Kansas around 1856 or 7. And it's an interesting family because you've got the Johnsons and you've got the Veals. His father was Fielding Johnson, who ran a store in Quindaro, which had a reputation for moving slaves through the territory and onto freedom. Quindaro is a town. It was a territorial town in Kansas. Right. It's where part of what Kansas City, Kansas is now. John Errol is one of Fielding's sons by his second wife. He was married. Sorry, what was that again? <laughs> is a, John Errol Johnson is a son by Fielding Johnson's second wife. <laughs> <laughs> he had three. He went through them pretty Three quickly. wives? Yes. All Not right. all at the same time. All right, John Earl Johnson never marries, perhaps trying to avoid some of the confusion that was caused by his, the rest of the family members. And but, John Earl Johnson, that's the man who, who the who swords the sword, the and, sword and the pistols have been presented to or were presented to. Interesting character. They did, by the whole, both, all of them came to Topeka uh, sometime during the war, actually, and settled here and spent the rest of their lives here, mostly as businessmen. Partly into real estate, and there may have been some other businesses involved, too. It's a little uncertain just what all they were doing. 
Soldiers in the 6th Kansas Cavalry, uh, they presented these items to Johnson during his promotion ceremony to the rank of Major. These items would be difficult to, to acquire even today. I mean, they're pretty expensive material that they're made out of, and the craftsmanship is pretty impressive. How did soldiers in 1863 acquire them, and how did they even pay for them? Yeah, I'm not sure what it would have cost them at that time, uh, but they probably would have found a way to pay for them. Uh, 100 men in a company plus officers, the officers were paid a little bit more. They may have added up, paid in a little bit more for them. There may have also been somebody who helped with the payment to say somebody like it. I know Jim Lane was involved with that regiment to a degree, at least the initial company that J. Earl Johnson uh, enlisted in. Uh, so they may have had some outside support. So it wouldn't have been too difficult to do, really. And engraved on the saber, uh, there's a series of battles. Uh, what is the significance of the last listed battle, uh, the Battle of Cane Hill? Uh, well, just to get in a little bit here, all those battles are battles the 6th Kansas Cavalry were involved. They're all somewhere close to the Missouri-Kansas border. Some get into Arkansas. So that's that's kind of part of the Civil War in the West that yes. doesn't always get as much attention yeah. as the Eastern battles. And it's sort of interesting that the 6th actually did stay close to Kansas most of the time. Some of the regiments were so notorious, like the 7th Kansas it's such a notorious reputation in Missouri that they were sent a little further east and down into Mississippi and Louisiana, but the 6th always stayed pretty close to home. Uh, Cane Hill uh, took place in the late November of 1862, and it's sort of a prelude to a bigger battle, which is also sort of forgotten today, Prairie Grove, which took place on December 7th, the day of infamy, 1862 in Arkansas. <laughs> 1862. Yes, I always make that point. It's December 7th. Something else to remember December 7th for. Right. Uh, but Cane Hill is sort of a prelude to that battle, and Johnson is shot through the left lung. Yikes. And for a time, he's actually even uh, cared for by the Confederate Army. The Union Army had moved on from Cane Hill, and Confederates took over uh, the little town. So he's actually in their care for a while until they were exchanged. For, he was exchanged for another officer later. He probably doesn't really ever recover from that wound. That's a rather serious one. It's described as going past the left nipple, through the lung, and out the back. Yikes. Which in 1862 would not have been a good wound. Uh, he probably never really recovers from it. Do you know what his what his job in that at that point was? Was he a regimental commander or? I think at that point he is still uh, maybe a first lieutenant. Okay, so he's he gradually the... gets promoted up. He becomes captain of the company uh, and then major eventually for the regiment. So. According to the engravings on the side of the on the side of the pistol, uh, like you said, um, he moved up pretty rapidly. Um, he enlisted July twenty first, eighteen sixty one, as a private, and it says he was elected to second lieutenant less than a month later. Um, was it common for officers in the Civil War to actually be elected to their position? At least at the beginning of the war, it wasn't all that uncommon, uh, particularly for companies of regiments. That companies were usually. Uh, enlisted from one or maybe two close communities. So it was a group that knew each other pretty well. And they would choose their own officer. It's probably somebody, or officers rather, usually the people that were recruited and probably had some standing in the community as well. It probably says something that Johnson did move up. He was probably well, well known enough. 
his brother-in-law, George Washington Veal, not Fielding Johnson, uh, was also in the company. And he eventually is captain of, I forget which company, it is Company A, I believe, of the Sixth Kansas. Uh, so... So he it, sort it makes of sense paves that he's the way a yeah. That probably for helps his, his brother-in-law, but so. Uh, so it did get into one problem though. I'll add quickly that uh, you didn't always get the best officers, of course, that way because there was often a lot of favoritism there, and a lot of people that didn't really have any great military ability sometimes wound up being an officer, and I think that eventually brought an end to the election of officers. You did have to show some merit later on in the war. That <laughs> so that happened even in the East as well? I, as far as I know, yes. And so they were federally recognized at their rank? That was one catch that could have a problem. It did have some problems in Kansas that actually the governors of the states, I think I have this right, had to approve and issue commissions to those officers. And sometimes they withhold held their approval. Mm. And that actually happened to J. Errol Johnson, too, at first, because the governor at the time, who would have been Charles Robinson, I think saw Johnson and Veal as Lane men. And Lane, Jim Lane and Charles Robinson didn't really get along too well together. Sort of political rivalry. There's a rivals. bit of politics Lane going on there. Lane was the senator yeah. at the time. Yeah. I see. So it puts a very political spin almost on your on your military or on your you know your local militia. Quite a bit, yeah. Soldiers must have really loved Johnson because they continued to advocate for him even in his retirement. Um, at one point, his soldiers even petitioned Congress. What were they asking for? They were asking for a pension for him, uh, fifty dollars a month, which really wouldn't have been that bad in eighteen eighty nine, which is when he finally got it. Uh, and this has to do with that wound again. He was apparently seriously wounded enough that he could use the money uh, again. I'm not quite sure what he did after the war. I, from what I can tell, he was involved in real estate. But uh, if he needed $50 a month, that would suggest that he was he had some financial difficulty. Was there any sort of um, medical plan for injured soldiers after the Civil War? Not really, no. There's no VA system like we have now. Uh, before you're actually discharged from the Army, there may have been some recourse, but after you were discharged, you really didn't have anything. The saber and the uh, pistol are in very good, uh, excellent condition. Do you think Johnson ever used these items, i.e. ever shot the pistols or whacked with the uh, yeah. saber? <laughs> I would be surprised if he did. He probably only wore them on dress occasions. It's um, These presentation items were given to Johnson following uh, the Battle of Cane Hill, like we talked about earlier. Uh, the pistols were actually given by Alpha Company, which was um, apparently on Johnson's right flank. The yeah. saber was given by, um, by M Company, uh, comprising Johnson's left flank. What do you think the metal company gave him? You don't remember what the army uses for M, do you? <laughs> well, it's Mike, but I yes, didn't say. I, yes, I wondered about the Alpha Company. They didn't have that in the Civil War. Uh, <laughs> uh, what did the middle company give him? I'm not sure, but I'm sure it was something warm and sincere. Uh, Actually, I do have some idea. They didn't really present him. Do you really? But uh, there is one account that does say that after the sword and pistols or revolvers are pre presented, an officer of the regiment got up, made the observation that about these presentations from the two companies, and just extended his thanks from the rest of the regiment. So 
They apparently didn't contribute anything. So anybody. they got him a big wet thank you. <laughs> yeah, so he got a big thank you for it. <laughs> wow. Uh, final question. Do you think Patton's pistols were influenced at all by Mr. Johnson's pistols? I doubt if they were influenced by Johnson's because I think pearl-handled or ivory grip pistols, forget which Patton had. I think he had the pearl-handled. Pearl handled, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, good old George, he had two Confederate ancestors that I bet probably had something similar. Then he was probably more influenced by them than he was by any Yankee out in, <laughs> out in Kansas. In Kansas. <laughs> All right, Blair. Well, thanks for telling us about the presentation, Pistols and Saber. You're quite welcome. A long time ago, we used to be friends, but I haven't thought of you lately. And now it's time for a, another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. And joining me today is Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman and Assistant Museum Director Rebecca Martin. Ladies, how are you? Pretty good. Good. Today we are continuing our attempt to connect William Allen White to 2008 presidential candidates. Um, like last week, we found a way to connect him to Barack Obama. This week, um, we think we found a connection to Fred Thompson, a former senator from Tennessee and cast member of Law & Order. Uh, but first, Nikayla, you want to give us a little background on exactly who is William Allen White and why we are connecting people to him? Well, William Allen White is a renowned newspaper editor from Emporia, Kansas. He owned the Emporia Gazette. He also wrote um, books like A Certain Rich Man and others. Um, we're trying to connect him to people because we can. <laughs> he knew practically everybody. So somehow he is he's connected. Okay. And uh, Rebecca, I think you have a solution to the last challenge to connect to Fred Thompson. Is that correct? Yeah, it didn't take too long. I started down the same path as the William Allen White to Paris Hilton, so cheated a little bit there. It's a slightly re repetitive path. So it is, it's basically the same path to connect William Allen White to Fred Thompson as it was to Paris Hilton? Uh, with a detour. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, as those of you who are listening to the Paris Hilton broadcast know, William Allen White had a son, William Lindsay White, also a very famous journalist in his day. William Lindsay White knew Dwight D. Eisenhower, Supreme Allied Commander during World War II and later President, and also an, a famous Kansan in his own right. Eisenhower's Vice President was Richard Nixon. Uh-oh. Yeah, bad choice. <laughs> when Richard Nixon became President, of course, there was a little thing you might have heard of called the Watergate scandal uh, mm -hmm. that essentially ended his presidency. And guess who was minority counsel for the Watergate hearings? Fred Thompson. Wow. There you go. <laughs> William Allen White to Fred Thompson. Very impressive. Uh, Nikayla, you want to give us the challenge for next week? Uh, sure. Next week's challenge is to connect William Allen White to the New York Senator and former First Lady Hillary Clinton. And if you have a solution, um, if you can connect the two, uh, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcast with an S. Thanks, ladies. Roaming through this darkness, I'm alive, but I'm alone. Part of me that concludes episode 37, Whacked with a Saber. You can see Johnson's pistols and saber on exhibit in our main gallery. Join us next time when curator Laura Van Orsdale uncovers another sketchy election. She'll tell us about a ballot box. As the story goes, it was swept up in a tornado, and the lost ballots may have altered the destiny of one Kansas town. Think you can podcast better? Well, let me hear from you. 
If you have comments or questions about our podcast, email them to me at podcasts at kshs.org. That's podcast with an S. This podcast is a production of the Kansas State Historical Society. Thank you.